0: go before our Lord in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here's your challenge this morning. You're going to have 30 seconds, 30 seconds to come up with three and just three adjectives to describe the following proper noun, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Open up your service guides, if you will, to the sermon guide. And there's three bullet points there. And I want you to think of the first three words to describe this person. You ready? How would you describe Jesus Christ? Ready, set, go. Five seconds. All right, that's time. Anyone care to share? Give me one of them what yeah, Don what'd you write down? Holy, that's good. Any others? Teacher, Teacher. Humble. humble. give me mighty, Almighty, good. Yeah, I think, uh, I think those are great. And I think the point of this exercise is, is difficult, not because we're looking for words or trying to think of words, but because there really is so many ways to describe Jesus Christ, right? Scripture gives us so many names for Jesus. It gives us so many pictures about who Jesus is. He's our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. He's our good shepherd. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the way, the truth, the life. It's hard to pick which words I'm gonna to use to describe him. Who is Jesus? During the season of Lent, we ask ourselves: who are we as we stand in the cross of Christ, as, as we journey with him up to Calvary's holy mountain? But it's also a, a time where it's really important to ask: who is Jesus? Who is it, the one is it that we're following as his disciples? And not who do I think he is, who do I hope he is, and who did I learn growing up in Sunday school that he is, but who is he? Who is he that's revealed in Scripture? Who is it that he himself gave names to and talked about and and showed by his words and actions? Because I think a lot of Christians would agree with just Those adjectives that got thrown out, right? Jesus is holy. He is almighty. He is perfect. He is powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's just. He's jealous. He's good. He's gracious. But I wonder, would all people describe him as divine? Do all people recognize him as this is the triune God? This is the son of God. Would all people recognize him as messianic? He is the fulfillment of all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. Or do people just think he's, he's good? He, he's neighborly. He's caring. He's forgiving. He's wise and prophetic, maybe. But really, I think it's easy to be in here in church on a Sunday morning and When your pastor asks you, How would you describe Jesus? We write down things that we we think we should think about Jesus, or we think that our pastor thinks we should think about Jesus. But do we leave here and in our minds do the same thing? Think of the Messiah as much less than he really is. Who is Jesus? Today in our lesson, we will see three descriptors of Jesus, three adjectives, three words that describe who this Jesus is. And I think these words, they might shock you. They might surprise you a little bit because the Jesus that we see isn't sitting down welcoming children to sit on his lap. The Jesus that we see isn't the cute and cuddly child in the manger in Bethlehem. And the Jesus that we see is not the Anglo-Saxon man standing, leaning on a shepherd's staff, walking beside still waters with a, a flock of pearly white sheep. No, the Jesus that we see in our lesson for today, he's a man on a mission. He's a man on a very specific mission. Just three chapters prior to this, Jesus, Luke recorded that at that time, I'm, it approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And here we are, just three chapters later, Luke wants to make sure his readers do not forget. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Why all this talk about Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Because we're going to hear it again in our lesson. Well, it's because Jesus knows that his mission it's to go to Jerusalem and it's the last city that he would ever enter in on his own before he walked out with a cross on his back. Jesus knows that he's going there and his mission is to die. Three times already he has told his disciples that. If we're classifying this mission, it's a, it's a suicide mission. Jesus has said it. He said, my death is certain. And don't, don't forget, this, this mission has weight, and Jesus felt it. In the garden, just the night before Jesus completed his mission, he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours. It was a mission that started out in the desert. We read about it last week with Jesus sparring with Satan. Satan. But it's a mission that needed to end with Jesus crushing the devil's head. It's a mission that wasn't for a first century version of Mr. Rogers. But it's a mission that's impossible and in need of a Messiah. And it's in the middle of this mission that someone comes to Jesus and asks a question. He says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved I mean I've been listening to you preach and teach Jesus for almost three years now and I've heard you talk a lot about sin I've heard you rip a new one for the religious leaders and say how they're not getting in I've heard you describe how you, you've come to judge and, and Jesus I wonder is, is heaven going to be a quiet place are only a few people going to be saved and I love this question I love this question cuz it's it's one of those questions that gets asked in Bible class and all the adults start nodding their head like yeah I've been I've been wondering the same. It's a question that stops the crowd and everyone starts murmuring, "Yeah, Jesus, explain this." Because I've I've wondered the same. I I want to know am I getting in? It's a great question. I love this question. But it gets one of the most confrontational answers in scripture. Listen, Jesus said, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Instead of answering the question, Jesus instead confronts the fears, the fears that they had behind it. Jesus, are many getting in? Yeah, many are going to try, but they won't. Instead of answering the question, Jesus says, make every effort. The Greek word used for make every effort effort. It's agonizomai. It's where we get our word agony or agonize. It's the picture of an athlete trying to to do something, making an effort, but going through difficulty, agonizing, struggling. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to flip this. Instead of answering it, I'm going to ask you, are you getting in? Who are you? Are you someone who's entering through the narrow door? That's the first word that we see to describe our Savior, our Jesus. That Jesus is confrontational. Jesus doesn't just answer that question, but he confronts, in fact, two very specific groups of people. Two people that were in the crowd that day, and two people that might be here today. Jesus does it by telling two parables. Listen, here's the first one. Two many parables. Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter, but they will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. I heard the story just a little while ago about uh, a family that lived in South Florida. The family were farmers and there's three sons in the family. There was Don and Little Ron. And all these fam all members of the family, they're they members at the church, but they're what we call in the church word keisters. Have you ever heard this before? They're they're members that go on Christmas and Easter. You see, these, these boys, they, they grew up on their farm. They had no time for church, they had no time for God. And despite that, the pastor. Members were always reaching out to him, encouraging him, trying to get him to to take seriously church, take seriously God's word, but nothing. The story goes that one Sunday, pastor was on his way home from church and the phone rang. It was the father. And he said, can you hurry, please? John's been bitten by a rattlesnake and he's in the hospital and it doesn't look good. So the pastor rushed to the hospital and the doctor explained to him that the bite happened earlier that morning. The venom had taken its course, and he had definitely lost his eyesight, and it was a possibility that John would lose his life. So with the family gathered all around, the pastor started to pray. He said, Lord, gracious God, we come before you um, on behalf of John, and thank you for the rattlesnake bite. We thank you uh, that you have sent a rattlesnake to bite him because we've tried everything to get John to turn from the way he's living to repent to you and and we couldn't do it. We pray that this this experience teaches him a valuable lesson. And this morning, Lord, we also pray that you send another rattlesnake to bite Don and little John and send a really big snake to bite their father because we've done all we could and now we entrust him into your hands. Lord, we thank you for rattlesnakes, amen. Bold? Yeah. Insensitive? Maybe. A bit confrontational? Yeah, definitely. But was the pastor right? Was Jesus right? Jesus is talking to a group of people and he says to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because someday it's going to close. And there's people here today and and there's people who you know who aren't Here today, that aren't making every effort to enter through the narrow door. And forget about the narrow door for just a second. There's people not even making the easy effort to enter through the four double wide doors that we have to this church. Jesus says, Make every effort. He's talking to people who know that God's word is important, that knows a right relationship with Him is important, but say, Yeah, 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 later. Later, when I'm less busy, I will form a a stronger relationship with God. Later, when, you know what, it's easier for my family in the life stages that my kids are at, then I'm going to spend more time with God's word. I tell you, when the church does, then I'll take it more seriously. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, it'll be too late. You had your chance. I will not acknowledge those who appeal to me for entrance, after they've lived so arrogantly that they thought they can do their own thing. He says, I don't know you or where you come from. And Jesus goes on. He confronts a second group of people. He says, then you will say to me, we ate and we drank with you and and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And the second mini parable Jesus addresses a group of people who maybe got a little puffed up when he talked to the first people. He's addressing a group of people who sat in the synagogues. A group of people who sat in church, who served in church, who had special roles in church. And Jesus has a strong word for them. He says, yeah, you talk the talk, but not walk the walk. You're living claiming faith, but not showing any faith. He says, I don't know you. And you can picture these people, right? It's people It's people like Moral Molly who, who's here today. She looks and acts like she does everything right according to God's word. But then you see Moral Molly out in the streets or on social media, and she says stuff that isn't stuff that Christians would say. She posts stuff that isn't, what a Christian should post. She, she says things against people she claims she wants to share the gospel with that bring them up and point them down and, and, well, bring them lower instead of bringing them up and pointing them to Christ. It's people like Bible Bill who's sitting here today who knows God's word, who can quote God's word, but then in a warped way uses God's word to bring shame and guilt on his kids, his family, others, it's people like Holy Holly and Holy Hank who look like they have it all together and are always humble bragging about all of the opportunities and how blessed they are. But then you outside of church and their language, it's hard to hear. It's homophobic. It's filled with hate. Jesus is talking to people like Downer Debbie who sits in church every single Sunday, who's sitting in church today hearing the good news of God's word, who comes and takes the Lord's Supper, who hears all about the forgiveness, the peace that transcends all understanding that is theirs, and yet leaves here and acts like an asinine child who has an attitude that only grumbles, complains, and and gets upset about things not going their way, and forgets that they just heard the message of Jesus that changes hearts, that changes lives. Now, this is the second group that Jesus is talking to. It's the people that say, my will over thy will. It's people who want to come, eat, drink, rub shoulders with Jesus, but then want to leave and be their own masters and commanders of their own life, do their own thing. And it's even worse. Jesus says even stronger, I don't know you or where you came from. And he adds this. He says, away from me, all you evildoers. It's not enough to just simply hear my words. It's not enough to just simply hear the preaching and teaching. It's not enough to simply know Jesus. It's about having faith. It's about having faith in Jesus and living your faith. Someone asks Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus flips it. He says, are you? Are you making every effort? Are you making every effort to make sure you're going to get through that narrow door? And Jesus can talk so confrontationally about it because Jesus knows some things, well, that you and I often forget. Jesus closes by saying this. He says, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth, When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you see yourselves thrown out, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first, this knows better. Let me give you real quick three things that Jesus knows better than we know. Jesus knows that we will live forever. Jesus knows that he created us in eternity. He knit us together in, his mother's, in our mother's wombs. Jesus knows that people will live on. People will come from all over, north, south, east, and west, to live in eternity. And the question is, will you live in eternity with him or not? Because Jesus also knows that hell is real. Hell is for real. Hell is a real place. And Jesus knows that in eternity, if you don't live with him, you will live in hell. And hell is the consequence for our sin. And that's why Jesus speaks so boldly, so confrontationally. It's because he knows that hell is real. He knows what it's like and he doesn't want you to go there. Jesus knows most of all that he loves you too much to see you go to hell. And that's why Jesus goes on towards Jerusalem. That's why Jesus is, and this is our second, second descriptor for Jesus today. Jesus is determined. And that doesn't even begin to get at it. Jesus is so determined. Jesus is resolutely determined. He is single-mindedly determined to go to Jerusalem to die for you. Jesus goes on. He says this. At that time, some Pharisees came to him and said, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. It's scandalous. It's unexpected, right? That Jesus' enemies would come up to him trying to protect him. But you see, the Pharisees, they weren't working for Herod, and they weren't trying to save Jesus either. But they did want what Herod wanted. And that was they wanted Jesus dead. And so they wanted to get him to Jerusalem. They wanted to get him to a place where they knew they could get their hands on him. But Jesus' reply, the determined one, he's not done being confrontational either. He says, listen, go tell that fox. And by the way, Jesus is not, trying to compliment Herod with this. He's not trying to praise his good looks with this. No, he says, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. This is a diss against Herod. This is Jesus publicly publicly calling him an insignificant for the prince of animal, well, to show that this king's power is no match for the prince of peace. To show that he, Jesus, would not be a pushover. That he was going on, that he was determined to do what he came here to do. That's why Jesus talks about going on today, tomorrow, and the next day, fulfilling what he set out to do. He said, I'm determined to grow to Jerusalem. Pharisees, Herod, you will not stop me. I am here to preach. I am here to do the will of my God. I'm here to see to the very end the thing that he has called me to do, and that is to die for those I love. Christ is on a scandalous mission. And a mission is one that could be classified as a suicide one. It's going to end in... It's going to do it for you. you no, know, it's during this time, during Lent, we consider that question. Who are you? Who am I? How do I stand before my God? Am I somebody who, who's all about, nah, later Jesus, I'll, I'll get around to it when I have time? Are you somebody who who claims to be living out a life of faith, but really... There's zero evidence in your life that he is your God. You care about doing his will. Or are you somebody that follows him? It's a question we're forced to consider. Who are we? And we also look at who is Jesus? And we see he's not a wise teacher who's just simply throwing out wise ways to follow He's not a Pez dispenser that goes around just dishing out grace to whoever we want it. And Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle that that simply gives us all of our wishes to make us healthier and happier and wiser. No, Jesus is confrontational when it comes to sin. Jesus is determined to die because Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He's the first and the last. And so the real question is, Is not who are you, but whose are you? Do you belong to Him? Jesus wraps it up. He says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Often I prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I long to gather you, your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The question is, whose are you? Are you someone who is under the care, the protection, the love of this God? Or are you not? And you're in church, you say, of course, that's something I desire. I, I want to be under his care, his protection, and his love. That's why I'm here, isn't it? But that's what Lent challenges us to do. To challenges us to ask, are we doing this right? Are we, are we really living our faith right? Because that's what Jerusalem thought. Jerusalem thought they were living godly lives. They thought they were doing the right thing, the righteous thing, and put it in our words, the doctrinally correct thing. When they killed the prophets. But they were living a lie. They were living a delusion and they needed to change. And so do we. Are you someone living a lie, living the delusion that says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's good and all, but I'm going to get to it later. Stop. Change. Are you someone that says, hey, hey, you know, I'm here, aren't I? Listen, it's not about showing up. Stop. Change. That's the question. How, How do I change? How do you do that? Well, listen, listen to the words of our God. You could almost hear him lamenting for you, can't you? He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says, Fredericksburg, Stafford, to, to King George, the Way Church. How I have longed to gather you under my wings. It might not be the first word you thought of to describe Jesus, but it's a word that he used to describe himself. Our third description is this. Jesus is motherly. He loves you with a mother-like love, the love of a mother who tenderly, longingly, yearningly wants to gather her children together to protect them, to guard them, to love them, to keep them safe. And he says, stop running around with like chickens with your heads cut off. Find your shelter in me. That was Jesus' mission, to go and die for you up on a cross so that your mission is simply to just stand and rest and hide in the shadow of his wings, the wings of him who loved you so much that they stretched out on a cross to die for you. As we close up, do me a quick favor. Look at the very top of your sermon guide. What three words did you write down about Jesus? who is Jesus? Would you change anything that you wrote down from the beginning? Jesus is the lion of Judah. Make no mistake about it. He is the lion who strongly confronts sin because he loves you way too much to see you sin. He is the lion of Judah who aggressively and doggedly was determined to die for you because he loves you way too much to see you suffer hell. But he's also the lamb. He's the Lamb of God who went silently before the slaughter. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that now, that question, who are you? Well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, who you've been. All that matters is that Mission Impossible has been accomplished and you are his. Amen.